The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. So we are in part 72 of the book of Joseph, I think, something like that. Or the book of Jen, it's not the book of Joseph. You think I know that after 71 sermons. It's the book of Genesis, but it's the story of Joseph. Let me just catch you up as to where we're at in the story out of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph is the favorite. And the brothers, his 11 brothers, do not like this. They despise him for it. And uh, not only this, uh, to add fuel to the fire, you'll remember that God gives Joseph a dream. Joseph's a teenager. And he gives him this dream that suggests that he'll be in a, uh, a position of power and prominence over his brothers. And he shares this with him. And they hate him even more, so much as a matter of fact, that they want him dead. And so they think, well, we're not going to profit if he dies. So they devise this great plan. Let's uh, throw him in a cistern, a dry cistern. And uh, they said, you know what, we'll end up, uh, we'll think of something. And they said, hey, I know what we'll do. We can profit off this and still get rid of him. We will sell him as a slave. And that's exactly what they do. And he is purchased and taken off to the pagan land of Egypt, a new place, a new people, taken away from everything he's ever known. Uh, his brothers have been lying to his father now for years, telling, um, telling Jacob that Joseph is dead. When Joseph gets to Egypt, he becomes a slave in Potiphar's house and does really well there. If you remember the story, he he gets promoted, and he gets, uh, he's just entrusted with all that Potiphar has. And uh, apparently Joseph is a good-looking guy like R.D. And uh, so Potiphar's wife just wants to have a little fun with him, all right? Sounds like one of the, some of the ladies in our day and age, right? So uh, what? I wasn't talking about you. Why would you look at me like that? <laughs> wow. So... So, yeah, so this is real relevant to where we're at, right? So, but Joseph is a man of integrity. And we've, we've talked about how incredible this is. And he, he says, you know what? I'm going to honor Potiphar. Why, why would I do this with his wife? I'm a loyal man to him and to the Lord. And it's just so interesting how, how he does the right thing. And then what happens? Potiphar's wife actually accuses him now. She's mad. She's upset. She accuses him of sexual misconduct, of trying to be with her. And so now Joseph is thrown into prison from a slave. He starts doing a little bit better. Now he's thrown into prison. False accusation. This is injustice at, at its peak, right? Like, this is crazy. But he keeps a great attitude, and he's actually now promoted in the prison. And he's entrusted with much. You notice the pattern. And so... And while he's in prison, Joseph meets the chief, Pharaoh's chief baker and a cupbearer. They're in prison there and awaiting a trial, and they each have a dream. And by God's grace, Joseph is able to interpret those dreams. Those two men get out of prison. They go back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh now has a dream that he cannot interpret. And guess who they call? They say, hey, we know somebody or the one that was still living said, we know somebody, right? We know, I, I know somebody who can interpret your dream. And so Joseph is brought out of the prison. He's taken, he's cleaned up, 
and he is brought before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph, by God's providence, is able to interpret it. And here's essentially what the dream says, is that you, uh, there is going to be seven years of abundance, of plenty on the earth, followed by a severe seven-year famine. And uh, he says, you know what, we need to, during the seven years of abundance, we need to uh, have a surplus. We need to put back a certain portion of the food to sustain the people throughout the seven years of famine. And so uh, this interpretation pleases Pharaoh. He, he trusts, by, again, by God's providence. He trusts Joseph, promotes him to what we're calling the, the prime minister of Egypt. And so here it is, Joseph moves from a slave to a prisoner, and now the prime minister of Egypt, and only God can make this happen. Joseph puts back the food during the seven years of abundance, and now the famine is hit. And everybody's freaking out. And if you want food, guess where you have to go? You have to go to Egypt. So it's pretty incredible because soon after the famine happens, guess who needs to eat? Joseph's 11 brothers and his father and his sister. And so they have to go to Egypt to buy, or to, yes, to buy food. And so you must understand, though, they think Joseph is dead by now. Surely, he's, they certainly don't expect him to be uh, prime minister of Egypt, right? I, I don't think they have that much confidence in him, but they fail to understand the God that he serves. Amen? And so, here they go. They, they, they go to Egypt, and they are before Joseph. They are at his mercy, but they do not recognize him. And how will he respond? Well, a few weeks ago, we saw that he actually blesses them. He gives them money, and he gives him, them grain or food, and, and he does not tell them, hey, I'm your brother. He's kind of playing with them for a while, which I love. Actually, he's using wisdom, and he's testing them. That first trip that they made, their brother, uh, Joseph's brother Benjamin, his younger brother, um, it's his full brother, and uh, loves him very much. Benjamin is at home with Jacob. Jacob doesn't want to lose his next favorite son, right? So he sent the, he, he sent the other ten brothers um, to him. So they, they return, and he says, listen, I, he keeps Simeon, one of the other brothers, captive. And he says, I want you to go home, and I want you, to, you can have Simeon back if you return with Benjamin. So they go, and they persuade Jacob to let them bring Benjamin back. They come back a second time. He blesses them again, kind of throws a party. They make their way back to, uh, back to their homeland. And as they do, but right before they go back, what does Joseph do? Remember, last week he sets them up, and he puts his silver cup in whose satchel? In Benjamin's satchel. And it's a setup. And then he sends, he lets them get a little distance. He sends one of his servants out to check on him. And to go through their bags, and he finds this silver cup. And the, the brothers are just befuddled, like they are messed up. We promised we didn't take it. We didn't. He's like, sure you didn't. Has them brought back, and here they are before their brother. They don't know it's him still. And so during this process, Joseph shows, he's, he's kind of uh, applying great wisdom again. And he, he, he kind of sets them up one last time. Judah has this incredible turnaround. 
Because here's what Joseph said. He says to, uh, he says to the, the brothers, he says, listen, you, all of you are free to go except, except Benjamin because the silver cup was in his bag. The rest of you can go free. And you remember the setup here. You, you remember the reason that he's doing this, right? He wants to see, Judah, are you going to do the same thing again? Are you going to throw your brother under the bus? Are you going to take care of him? Judah actually repents for their, oh, he says, listen, all of us have sin. He essentially confesses his sin, the sin that he did years ago. He said, listen, this is God's judgment coming on us. That's what he thinks. And it is, in a sense. And then he does something profound. The one who was one of the instigators in selling Joseph now says this about Benjamin to Joseph. He says, listen, you let Benjamin go, I'll pay. I'm your slave forever. I'll pay the penalty. And he becomes, here in a sense, a picture of Christ. Because he becomes the substitute for Benjamin's punishment. Put it on me so that Benjamin can go free. Isn't that what Christ has done for us? All right, so that's where we are in the story. That's a lot of history. I know that's, uh, and I probably wasn't the most eloquent in telling you that, but that's the gist of the story. So this is really incredible today where we're at. So this is, this is all just transpired, and then ver- chapter 45, verse 1 says, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And you would think this would mean after all he's been through that he's getting ready to go postal, right? That's not what he does. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This is the big reveal. And he wept aloud, aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brother, I, his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Look, do you see this? He is still concerned about other people. Like, come on, this is the big reveal. He's just concerned about everybody else. He's crying. He is so incredibly tenderhearted. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and listen to this, and said, I, he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. The past is still there. All of this happens. Joseph is not in denial. But I just want you to see here Joseph's tender heart. How in the world, after all of this has transpired, how do you not become bitter? How do you not become hateful? I'll tell you how. You trust the Lord God. You trust His sovereignty. You trust His kindness. You trust that He really does work all things together for your good. It's very freeing because it means that nothing can happen to you that is going to thwart God's plans and purposes in your life. So the whole time, you know, we don't know every thought, but you just sense this trust when He's sold into slavery. 
when he's falsely accused of sexual misconduct, when he's put into prison, when he's standing before Pharaoh. You just get this sense that he just almost blindly trusts the Lord. And you can just tell he has not walked in unforgiveness. So what will his response be here? This is incredible. Look at verse 5. Do and do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. I mean, this is incredible. Don't carry your shame. Don't be sorry. Watch what he says. Because you sold me here. <laughs> you, you sold me. Let that just resonate for a moment. But don't be sorry. Don't. Be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land two years and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors so it was not you who sent me here but God he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt wow my friends here we have so clearly the mystifying in a sense doctrine of God's divine providence. And so next week, I'm going to spend just totally unpacking this doctrine. We're going to take a break from the, the text, and we're just going to unpack the doctrine. But I want to just give you kind of a taste of, of what's to come. I want to explain to you what's going on here. Wayne Grudem um, wrote the systematic theology book that's used in a lot of colleges. This is his Bible doctrines book. He defines God's providence as, uh, God's providence as follows. He says, God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, number one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties in which they, he created them. Number two, he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And number three, he directs them to fulfill his purposes. Suffice to say that God, it's, it's not this thing where God just created the universe and now it's kind of hands off and he's waiting to see what happens and one day maybe he'll bring it all back around. No, God is in control. He is a sovereign God. All right? God is absolutely sovereign. He's not up there wringing his hands wonder what, wondering what he will do. Because of a decision you made or I made. No, he is sovereign and he is in complete control. Let me just give you an example in, in the natural world, all right? So, we have scientific reasons for why it rains, correct? Anybody want to explain that process? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> You've been out of school a while. Um, 
so, so, but, but there are reasons. There, there are reasons for um, every week we call it the sun rising, right? And setting. I mean, these things happen, and we would say this, this happens because of the laws of what? What? I can't hear you. Laws of physics, laws of nature, yeah, all, all these things, right? So we would say these are natural phenomena, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely true. Yet, God is the one who put all those things into existence, and He sustains all those natural laws. So it is, it is completely fine to say, you know, it rains because of X, Y, and Z, and God caused it to rain. Those statements are not contradictory. Now, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You see, it takes God to sustain that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. So, so God holds the world together in a sense, not the, the universe. I mean, it operates. It's in, and, and then you think of our lives. What's the Acts say? It's in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. So he, the, the Scriptures make it clear, and we're going to go through these next week. Um, I'm going to give you all the Scriptures to back all this up. But um, what, what I really want to get to is, this is all I want to point out tonight so we can make it through this chapter. I want to give you just three truths right here about God's divine providence, three statements as it can, His providence concerns us. Number one is this, God is sovereign over us. Number two, men and women make real choices with real consequences. Number three, God is not surprised by our choices, nor do our choices thwart His ultimate plans and purposes. So here's, here's what's happened in the theological world on the extremes, okay? So you have one side, these would be Hype, what I would call hyper-Calvinist, and they would say this, what you do doesn't matter because God's sovereign. He's created you kind of as a robot, right? And he, so everything you do is just, it's just God. Hyper-Arminians, which are free will people, they would say this, God's up there wringing his hands, and you basically run the earth, right? Like you can thwart God has a plan, but you can thwart it because your choices matter that much. I don't think either one of those extremes are great, all right? I think there's a balance, and here's, but, but we don't have a category for this in our mind because here, here's what happens. We say it has to be this, God's sovereign, or it has to be we have free will, one or the other. But it's this beautiful paradox that just somehow works with God. Because he's not bound by what we're bound by. So I, this is what I really believe. And I'm going to show you this verse by verse next, next week. Um, I believe that God is completely sovereign. And I believe that our choices really matter. Now you work that out in your mind. Here is what, here is what has happened, alright. Let's just take our story here. Dill, can you turn that down, whatever you're listening to up there, whatever ball game you're watching? Or <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, it's probably true. Is there an NBA's final game one right now? Because it's definitely true if that's the case. 
Oh, is he? Okay. There you go. So here's, here's what's happening. Let, let me ask you, did Joseph's brothers make real decisions to sell him into slavery, to, to lie to their father? Did they make those decisions? Okay. Are they accountable for those decisions? Was it God's will that they made those decisions? Yep. It was. Because you go, you go to the end of the story, and here's what Joseph says. What you meant for harm, here's what we do in the church. We change it. We, here's what we say. God turned around for good. Don't we always say that? Hey, the enemy meant it for harm. Oh, but God turned it around and he used it for good. That's not what the scripture says. Don't fudge that. All right? Here's what, he, here's what it says. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. Reconcile that in your mind. I, I, I can't do it. We just have to be okay with some mystery here, but know this. That bad things happen and people are held accountable for their actions. Yet at the same time, God is using those very things for our good and for His glory. Every bit of this was a setup in Joseph's life to position him to the place. And, and I, I, so, so I kind of think like this. Well, Lord, you're God. Why not just set him in Egypt? Like transport him there somehow or... Uh, you know, and then just set him before Pharaoh and change Pharaoh's heart and say, here you go. Now you're prime minister of Egypt. I just believe, now I'm not God, this is just speculation here. I just think that perhaps if, that, if God would have done it in that way, Joseph would not have been ready. You look back when he was 17 and he wasn't the wisest person. Just sharing the dream with his brothers was not wise. He wasn't ready for that kind of responsibility. It took him going through the pit and the prison and all of these things, the slavery. It took him, it, it took him um, all of these um, events. To, it took all of these events in his life, excuse me, to prepare him so that he might be able to handle a position like this. Now, this is just really freeing to me. Some people have a huge issue with this. This is more of a Reformed view, I, and so you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. But I think it's a biblical view, and I'm going to, like I said, next week, I, I'm going to show you just in, I, I just think it's so clear throughout the Bible. This is how it works. God is sovereign, and yet we make choices. Um, it's interesting. Um, one of the choices we make that really matter is the choice to pray. Now, if God is sovereign, why pray? Because prayer is the means by which God uses to bring things to pass. All right? Let me give you another one. The Bible says that God is able to keep us from falling. So that sounds like we can just set our feet up as Christians and go, hey, I'm not going to fall. But then you have Hebrews, which says, chapter 3, Brothers, exhort one another daily lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and fall away from the living God. Well, God, I thought you said you could keep us from falling. Well, he can, and the means that he uses is church, the church, your Christian relationships. 
But we say it has to, again, it has to be one way or the other. It's, it's both. I think this is why we have so many denominational splits, because we say, oh, it's this way, and this denomination saying, nope, it's this way, when it's probably both. There's a little bit of uh, correctness in probably each of our denominations, okay, within reason. There's some out there that there's probably no cor uh, correct doctrine in, but um, for the most part, we all ha probably have a little bit of it right. I've just been, my, my life has been so enriched by Calvinists. I've just been so enriched. And yet my life's been so enriched by Arminians. Because they both have a little bit of it right. None of us are infallible. I don't think any of us have it completely right. But, but listen, I, I just, this, these, um, this idea of God's sovereignty and, and man's free will, it just works together. Here's my big, here's the big deal to me. If, if God is not sovereign, okay, if he is not ultimately sovereign, this is why this matters to me, then friends, he is not God. God is not sovereign. God is not God. He is absolutely sovereign. Okay? So, you see this kind of, I mean, I think it's really clear in the text. The brothers sinned. The brothers are responsible. But there's no bitterness because Joseph has such a high view of God. When you put yourself on the throne and you think you dictate what God does, you have so diminished the living God. Friends, He is on the throne. He's absolutely on the throne. He is sovereign, yet we are absolutely responsible for our sins. And God is so powerful, and He knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, that He can take every decision that we will ever make, Every prayer that we'll pray and every prayer that we won't pray. And he takes all of that and works it together to bring about his sovereign will. Not even in spite of what we've done, but through what we've done. I mean, it is crazy. That, that's how powerful and glorious God is. Okay, let's move on. We're, we'll come back to that next week. I'm going to have some sheets printed out for you. I'm going to show you verse by verse in the Bible why that's my position here. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Sorry, I went through that, didn't I? That's in the verse. Verse, verse 8, okay. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh. And Lord of all his house, ruler over the land of Egypt, verse 9, hurry and go back to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Watch this, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Therefore, I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have done do not come to poverty. Joseph is blessing the people that tried to destroy his life. How do you think that God looks at us when we refuse to forgive somebody over something that he would call small? 
when we get bitter and we just, we just are enraged over nothing because, oh, somebody offended me. Somebody hurt my little baby feelings, right? I mean, I get so tired of hearing Christians whine. I get tired of hearing myself whine sometimes, right? Like we need to grow up and we need to trust. See, God, here's the beauty of having a high view of God. It means no matter what you do to me, like don't take this completely to heart and just start messing with me all the time, all right? But no matter what you do to me, here's, here's the thing. I can never get mad at you if I trust God's sovereign will. The people that, who, who leave my church, I hate to see anybody leave, but I've, even though it hurts and even though I have had a little bit of lack of faith in the, fa- in the past where you have, you know, well, that person was a tither. And I remember, you know, a group of people leaving and going, me going, what are we going to do? But then I remembered, oh, this is not my church. I didn't build the church. It's God's church. And, and um, you know, it's got to be built on Him. And if it is, even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so a group of people would leave and I would be reminded that God is faithful and He is sovereign. And pretty soon it was the clipping that needed to spur the the, the growth to the next level. It's just incredible how the Lord works. And so this doctrine of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, is so freeing. It just honestly, if you believe this, you just can't get upset. You can't be a bitter person because you trust the Lord. We were trying to um, get Nikki a job here in Richmond, you know, a little bit closer to, to where we're at. And um, someone in our church just graciously was re- really worked hard to, to get her a position here. And it just didn't work out. And, and he reached out to me just like this happened months ago. And he just said, man, this has been weighing on my heart. I feel really bad I couldn't make this happen. And I just thought to myself, um, I didn't say anything. I wanted him to feel bad. But um, I, I, I thought to myself, I thought, you know what? If God wanted it to happen, it would have happened. There's a reason. There's a reason that, that, that Nikki's still in Lexington. There's a reason. There might be somebody there that needs the gospel. Nikki might need an extra 45 minutes away from me as she drives home. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, it's the only time she amens when it's something negative. <laughs> She's super spiritual. But here's what I want you to see. Joseph provides for the very people who hurt him. And this is the other side of the cross. This is before the, the power of the Holy Spirit has come. Is it really hot in here? Yes, yeah, somebody please help me out. I'm dying up here. Huh. I wondered, I knew you weren't wearing a snowsuit for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, man. So, I want this to encourage us. And, and notice this as well. I know that, that Joseph has, has used wisdom here, you know, in, in kind of making sure his brothers had changed. But he doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to play this out, and in a year from now, if you guys behave, I'm going to let you back in. Guys, We need to offer this kind of grace to people. We have people who have left our church since I've been here, several people. And uh, if they will meet with me, I'll tell you how, no matter why they're leaving, if if 
they're, they're hateful when they leave, whatever it is, here's, here's what I, without fail, here's what I do. I sit down with them in my office. I pray with them. I pray God's blessing over their life. And I said, listen, if you ever want to come back, for the small price, you can know. <laughs> if you ever want to come back, I say, listen, um, these doors are wide open, and, and I, will, I will greet you with open arms. We've had this happen. We've had people leave, um, not on the best terms, and they've come back, and they've been just shocked that, that, that I really meant that, that we really meant that. And they're here, some of them in leadership now. I just believe that's the picture of the grace of God. Do we use wisdom? Oh, absolutely. Before we place somebody back in a position or whatever. But listen, oh, we don't say, you know what? Let's go have a few dinners, and then we'll decide if we're going to let you in our building or not. We're going to decide really if, um, you know, let me just monitor your behavior or give me 10 references and then we'll, we'll decide if we'll let you sit in one of our front pews or not. Like, you know, no. We, we just need to be gracious towards one another. Because I hear this all the time in the church, you know, when it deals with, when this, we're dealing with um, unforgiveness and things. Well, and people say, well, I've forgiven them, but, you know, I, I just, and, and then they have some but, right? I, I've forgiven them, but. I'm going to treat them like I hate their guts is essentially what they're saying. That's not true forgiveness. I know that reconciliation takes a little bit of time. But I'm saying you've got to be uh, willing to be a little bit vulnerable. And, and you say, Pastor, what if they hurt me again? It, it'll, it probably will happen because we all hurt one another from time to time, right? It, it, it might happen again. And if it does, God's going to get you through that time too. Okay? So we've got to offer grace one to another and we can do that again if we trust in God's sovereignty I mean how in the world can you hold something against me or any other person if you trust that God's working all things together for your good and his glory you just can't either you don't believe that or you do and if you and if you believe that God is working all things together you just can't be upset all right so Joseph provides for the very people that hurt him. Um, we don't know for I mean, there's a little bit of change here, but they're still his brothers. I mean, Joseph hasn't been around him uh, a lot. Like, he just says, hey, I want you to come to me. He doesn't send them away, say, hey, here, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little few dollars at you, just send you on your way. He says, no, I'm going to bring you here near me. He's inviting them into his life again. It's not, you know what, I'm just going to pay the bills, but we're going to have this kind of tension. But no, I want to be near you. And Joseph is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. This is what Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what this uh, story points to. Christ's substitutionary work, His love, His forgiveness, His grace, even while we were sinners. He didn't say, you know what, prove yourself, clean yourself up. No, that's the world's religion. He says, you can't. You're still, uh, you're still a mess. You're still a wreck. And so much so you can't put yourself back together. Just come to me. Come here. Here, you, you, you come to me in faith, and, and, I, and you can draw near to me. That's what He invites us to do. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. 
That's the invitation from Jesus. That's the invitation that Joseph gives to his brothers. Hey, this is, listen, the brothers could be thinking, man, this is a trick. He's already messed with us a little while ago. Like, what's he going to do if we move here? So they're coming in faith, right? This represents our faith. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And he allows us to be near to him. It's just an incredible invitation. Verse 12, and now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father my honor and all of Egypt, all that you've seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. He fell upon his brother's Benjamin's neck and he wept and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And watch this, he kissed all of his brothers. I don't even do that to my brother, all right? And I love my brother, just saying. And he wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And isn't that interesting? His, his brothers talked with him. See, when we offer that kind of grace, it allows us to put the weapons down. It allows the other person to kind of drop the armor. And, and to, it just breaks. This kind of grace, it breaks down barriers and allows relationships to be built. Somebody, if you're at odds with another believer right now, somebody's going to have to be the godly man or woman. You're going to have to take that first step of grace. And when you do, conversation will happen and relationship will be rebuilt. Verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. Watch this. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. I've never seen this before until I read this today, and this just jumped out at me. You know what this tells me? Think of this. Joseph and Pharaoh, right? I mean, these are, this is the number one and number two, right? And when, when, when Pharaoh hears that Joseph's brothers have arrived, it says it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. You know what that tells me? Joseph was not going around bad-mouthing his brothers. Do you see that? I mean, if he would have told uh, the whole story and he would have been bitter, Pharaoh, in defense of Joseph, probably would have risen up and said, Hey, these guys are going down and they're going to feel it. But he's pleased because Joseph is a great man of integrity. He's spoken well of him. You know, we have a great accuser, don't we? The enemy who's always making accusations. But we have that great brother, don't we, in Christ. That great loving God who is our advocate. Who's always speaking up for us. And this is what Joseph does for his brothers. It's remarkable. So I would just, just a little practical piece of advice here. This is probably the thing that we struggle with most when we are in the middle of an offense, when we're hurt, the tendency is to talk to everybody about it because we want people to know how horrible the other person is. All right? And let me tell you how we sugarcoat it in the church. Here's how we sugarcoat it. Oh, I just need to pray for this person because he hurt me so badly and this and this. No, you want me to know how horrible that person is. Okay, let's call it what it is. I'm not saying that we can't pray for it, but if you want me to know the details, 
or whoever. If you, don't want, the, if you want them to know the nitty-gritty details, you can call it prayer, you can call it whatever, it's gossip. If that person is not there to defend himself, herself, it is gossip. It's one of the things we got to guard against in prayer meetings. I love prayer. You better be careful when people start saying, oh, stuff that they don't know what they're talking about. And they say, oh, I just need to pray for a little so-and-so because and they're filling you in on details. That's the spiritual way. That's the sugarcoating of gossip. Joseph refuses to stoop down to this level. Doesn't go there. So let's, let's guard against this in our church. And we don't have a lot of it. I mean, we've nipped it in the bud. It, um, I, I literally, when I first came here, I had, these people aren't here, they're long gone, um, but I had a couple people come into my office and literally first week I'm there and say to me, I'm, I'm here, say to me, hey, I just want you to know how terrible sister so-and-so is. What's funny is sister so-and-so is still, still at my church. The other sister so-and-so is not here. And a couple people do that to me. And I just thought, I, I said this, I said, if you do this one more time to me, this is gossip, this is not helpful, I don't want to know. If you think I really need to know something, then we'll do what the Bible says, Matthew 18, and we will go to that person. Sure enough, somebody does it to me again. But I, I, I gave fair warning. Somebody calls me on the phone to gossip, and I said, all right. I'm calling them right now. Oh, no, don't do it, don't do it. I did. I picked up the phone. They left the church, but it's been pretty peaceful. And listen, that person and, and myself, we've, we've been reconciled. We've talked through all of this. But I'm just telling you, that kind of stuff will destroy a church. It'll destroy your life. And here, just to be very transparent, I catch myself doing it. Is anybody with me? Do you ever find yourself doing this? You have to be careful. I, listen, there are things I need to share with Nikki, but there are things I do not need to share with her. You know, we've had staff members, um, you know, and, and it's, Anytime you're on a team, you're going to be disappointed. But the thing is, Nikki's here too, right? And so every time I say, if I'm to say something to her in confidence, negative about a staff member, that, that causes her to think less of that person. So I, I tell Nikki, we, we're trying our best just to be careful, even at home, in the privacy of our home, of the negative things we speak. Because the Bible says do all things without complaining and grumbling. It says we're only to speak things that are good for encouraging and building up of other people. Now, there are some things that I have to discuss with her, all right? But I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? We, we've got to guard from these things. Um, all right, finally, let's, let's move on here. Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beast and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for goods. For the best of the land of all Egypt is yours. Is that not a picture of God's grace towards us? The best of the land. From a wretched sinner to God's, Christ's substitutionary work. Now, take the best of the land. The sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them weapons according to the command of Pharaoh. Gave them provisions for the journey to each. And he, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels in silver and uh, five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with goods of Egypt. 
ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he said to his brothers, uh, uh, he sent his brothers away, and they departed. He said to them, do not quarrel on the way. That's pretty funny right there. All right. So they went up to Egypt and, and came to the land of Canaan. It's like, all right, you've been, you've been forgiven. Go and sin no more, right? Um, so they went up to Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. When they told him the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, when they saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, that's Jacob, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I'll go and see him before I die. What an incredible picture. And you know, one, just one more thought here. As he is, um, as the brothers are making their way back, understand, Joseph doesn't let them continue the lie. He makes them confess their sin. You're going to tell your dad what's going on. You're going to bring him here. So they have to face their, their sin, all right? We have to face our sin, right? We have to confess our sin. We have to admit we're sinners. And we're bestowed with grace. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.